Our Father, we thank You for this word about our Savior from the pen of the Apostle Paul. It's a word we need to hear today. It's a word that we need to hear, even as we have sung, of of basing our lives and putting our lives on the solid rock of the Scriptures and the solid rock of Christ our Savior. We need to be rooted in Him, grounded in Him, founded on Him, delighting in Him, transformed by Him, transformed into Him. And Father, would You take this passage, this Word, this Scripture, and work it into our hearts this morning so that we might, we might look more like our Savior, that we might delight more in our Savior because of what we hear this day. Would you guide us? Would you instruct us? Would you change us? Father, whenever we come to worship, we have a two-pronged desire. One is that we would honor you. That's preeminent. We want to exalt you. We want to lift you up. We want to shout to the nations that you are worthy of worship. In COVID-19, you are worthy of worship. If we have cancer, you are worthy of worship. If we are poverty-stricken, you are worthy of worship. If we do not have our health, you are worthy of worship. In all things, we worship you. And then secondly, our Father, we come not just to exalt you, but we come to be changed by our worship. Might this morning be a morning of transformation to us and for us. Would you change us by what we are about to hear? We pray in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. What we think is important. And I don't mean by that sentence that what we think about a variety of different topics is important. Our personal opinions about things may or may not have any particular significance. But I'm thinking about what we are thinking about in any given moment. And those thoughts are important. What goes on in that six-inch diameter gray mass in our heads does matter. Those millions of thoughts that travel through our brains every single day are of prime importance. Those thoughts form our desires, and those desires inform our decisions, and those decisions lead to our actions. It might be true that you are what you eat physically, but it's even more true that we are what we think. How we live is the product of how we think. Our actions are the result of our thoughts. What we think is important. In his book, God's Battle Plan for the Mind, David Saxton writes this. Perhaps the best advice I could offer someone who desires to become a stable, godly person of meditation is this. Turn off the television and fight the temptation to be an entertainment-dominated person. The wholesale surrender of the mind to the world's programs and amusements led R. Kent Hughes to bemoan, This cosmic potential of the believer's mind introduces the great scandal of today's church. Christians 
without Christian minds, Christians who do not think Christianly, end quote. This morning, I want to think with you about the topic, what are you thinking? That's a good question in general, but in a time of COVID-19, it is a particularly helpful question to ask. What are you thinking about in relation to the potential for illness and the potential for death? What are you thinking about in relationship to financial hardship and and loss of hours at work and potential job loss? What are you thinking about in relation to falling stock markets and, and economic turmoil? What are you thinking about about relational struggles? What, what are you thinking about your life circumstances as they relate to COVID-19? And this message actually relates to and builds on last Sunday's message from Proverbs chapter 1. Last week I said that for the believer to fear Yahweh is to worship Him by delighting in Him and obeying in Him. That is, we, we want His fellowship and, and we want to serve Him. The fear of Yahweh is something that is personal to us. It is worshipful, it is humble, and it is servant-hearted. We, we want Yahweh. We want Him sovereign over us. We, we want fellowship with Him. And we want to serve Him in humility. How can we cultivate hearts that fear the Lord in a way that honors Him? Colossians chapter 3, without using the word fear, informs us how we can honor, revere, and delight in the One who is our Lord. It begins where all sanctification begins. It begins with a renewal of the mind about thinking and meditating on the provisions of God. We might summarize what we're going to find in these four verses this way. Preoccupation with Christ and His provision for us will transform our perspective on life. How we, how we think about life and how we act about what we think the, the, the thoughts that, that drive our desires, that inform our desires, that lead to our actions will be transformed. I was going to say when we are preoccupied with Christ, but I will say only when we are preoccupied with Christ. But friends, when we are preoccupied with Him, He will change both what we think, what we desire, and what we do. As we come to this passage, Paul will unfold this meaning as we ask three questions about this text. We want to ask three questions about these uh, four verses. What do you want? What are you thinking? And where are you going? And those three questions will align our thoughts and our actions to God-fearing actions. Again, preoccupation with Christ And His provision for us will transform our perspective on life. The first question that we want to ask is, what do you want? What do you want? And as we come to, as we come to verse one, what we're going to find, and, and we're going to find that Paul does this all the way through these four verses, Paul informs us about something that the Lord has provided for us. And in this particular instance, Paul reminds us of what God has provided for us in the past, what God has provided for us in the past. And notice as we come to this text 
that the apostle begins, therefore, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. And, and Paul, with that word, therefore, is connecting this verse and this passage to what he has already said in chapters 1 and 2. And particularly, he's focused on chapter 2, verse 12, and then verse 20. Notice verse 12, speaking about, about Jesus, he says in 2.12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul reminds us in chapter 2, verse 12, that we were buried with Christ and we were also resurrected with Christ. And then again in verse 20, he picks up that same theme. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, and then he asks a series of questions about why they were conducting themselves in a particular way. Why why were they doing these things in light of the fact that they have been identified with Christ's death on the cross? And it's that theme that Paul picks up again in chapter 3. Therefore... If you have been raised up with Christ, and, and when he says, if you have been raised up with Christ, we understand that that's a conditional sentence, so he's, he's setting up an if-then clause, but, but the sense is not, if you've been raised up, and maybe you haven't, but it, the sense is, if you have been raised up, and the reality is, as believers in Jesus Christ, you have been raised up, so it has the sense of, since you have been raised up, and so let's, let's think about it that way, since you have been raised up with Jesus Christ, since you have a resurrected life in Jesus Christ, you ought to conduct yourself in a particular kind of a way. Paul here, when he says, you have been raised up with Jesus Christ, is speaking about the same truth about our union with Jesus Christ that we have seen in multiple places in the New Testament as we've made our way through it, and particularly in Romans chapters 5 through 8. And we've seen that theme of our union with Christ developed extensively in Romans 5 through 8. Let me just remind you of a couple of things that that Paul says there about our union with Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6 Verse 4, he says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So, so we have an identity with Jesus Christ. When Christ died, we died with him. When Christ was resurrected, because we're in Christ, we were resurrected with him as well. And that means, Paul says, at the end of the verse, we have a new kind of life. We have, we have a resurrected life. We have a new way to live for Jesus Christ. And he, he amplifies that all through the chapter. But just draw your attention to verse 8 for now. Now, if we have died with Christ, again, that union with his death, we believe that we will also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So again, we have been identified with Christ in his death. We are identified with Christ in his resurrection. Now notice the conclusion that Paul makes in verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So, Reckon, consider, account for the fact that because you're identified with Christ in this way, sin is no longer your master. 
You are victorious over sin. You no longer have to sin. You are no longer enslaved to sin. You still have a sin nature. You still have the flesh. You still have a propensity to sin, but you are no longer bound to sin. You're not, you're not, it's not incumbent on you to have to sin. And it is that truth that the apostle unfolds for us again and reminds us of in Colossians chapter 3. We are raised up with Christ. We have a new life. We're no longer bound to the old life. We are connected not only to Jesus Christ, not only do we have, not only do we have forgiveness of sin, but we have a freedom so that we can do things now that please the Lord, that honor the Lord, that exalt God, that bring pleasure to Him and to His name. We have a new relationship to Christ. We have a new relationship to the law. We have a new relationship to life. We have in every way a brand new life. And and Paul repeatedly through his letters affirms this reality. One theologian has has cataloged for us at least 36 things that happen instantaneously to us when we are converted. Just, Just listen to this list. We are at the moment of our salvation in the eternal plan of God. We are redeemed. We are reconciled. We are related to God through propitiation. We are forgiven all sins. We are joined to Christ. We are freed from the law. We are made a child of God. We are adopted into God's family. We are made acceptable to God. We are justified. We are brought near. We are delivered from darkness. We are translated into the kingdom. We are placed on the rock. We are made a gift to Christ from God. We are spiritually circumcised. We are made a partaker of the priesthood. We are chosen. We are given a heavenly citizenship. We are made members of God's household. We are given fellowship with the saints. We are made a part of the heavenly association. We are given access to God. We are made a recipient of God's abounding grace. We are made a recipient of an inheritance in Christ. We are made a recipient of an inheritance in heaven. We are made a light on God's behalf. We are united to the Trinity. We are blessed with the deposit of the Holy Spirit. We are glorified. We are made complete. We are given possession of every spiritual blessing. We are made a recipient of eternal life. We are given victory over sin. We are given eternal security. Friends, that happens for every believer the moment we are saved. And Paul, Paul would have us to rest in God's provision for us in Jesus Christ and, and what Christ has accomplished to, to recognize that all this we have in this new life in Jesus Christ. The same theologian, after giving us that list, then comments this way. As all these blessings indicated, salvation is a work of God for man, not a work of man for God. What a Christian experiences is what God's love has prompted him to do for those who had no merit before him, but who are now recognized in the merit of his son because of their faith in Christ. The truth of the riches of divine grace are most overwhelming, and it is difficult to give it proper recognition. Oh, friends, what... What grace God has given us in this new life that we have with the resurrected Jesus Christ. In a similar vein, Richard Sibbs, the Puritan pastor, wrote this in his outstanding book, The Bruised Reed. 
We are only poor for this reason, that we do not know our riches in Christ. In time of temptation, believe Christ rather than the devil. Believe truth from truth itself. Hearken not to a liar, an enemy, and a murderer. Oh friend, if we are going to fear God, if we are going to honor God, if we are going to think rightly and act rightly in COVID-19, we need first of all to remember what God has provided for us in the past and in our salvation. We have blessings in Jesus Christ. We have riches in Christ. And those should be our delight every day and especially these days when we are tempted to move away from God, away from fellowship, away from intimacy in the body, away from resting and being confident in Him. The question Paul will ask in just a moment in verse 1 is, what do you want? And he sets up that question by reminding us what God has provided in the past. And because of what God has provided in the past... We learn from this verse that we are to align our desires with God's provision. We are to align our desires with God's provision. Because of our position in Jesus Christ, the apostle says we are, notice what the text says, verse 1, keep seeking the things above. The things above are the things that relate to heaven. It is a desire to go to the place that Christ is preparing for us. Remember John chapter 14 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago where where Christ is going ahead and, and preparing a place for us to bring us not just to that place but to Him. That's what Paul is inferring here. We're, we're to be looking heavenward to the place the place where Christ is, the place that Christ is preparing for us. We are to be seeking our ultimate home. Listen what the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says in verse 8, We are of good courage, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. We, we want this, this longing of heaven to be in the presence of God and Christ in our ultimate heaven. And because of that, he says, verse 9, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. So, so we look heavenward, and because we look heavenward, we have a particular kind of desire. We're seeking the things that are above. We're seeking the things that Christ desires. We are living for and pursuing and desiring the things that will last in eternity. We're, we're looking for the things that will not fade, that will not be corrupted, that will not be taken away from us. The kinds of things that Jesus refers to in Matthew chapter 6. We are seeking the things that are in heaven and the things that are heavenly, the things that are associated with our Savior. And notice, notice that the apostle says, keep seeking. That's a present tense. In other words, keep doing. This, this ought to be a continual activity. This ought to be a, 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 a habitual activity. It ought to be a regular kind of activity. And, and why does the apostle say, keep seeking? Because friend, it is our tendency to stop seeking. It is our tendency to wander away. It is, it is our tendency to be distracted. It is our, it is our tendency to move away. That song says it so well. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave, 
the God that I love. We we have a tendency to walk away. And so so uh, Paul here reminds us that that we need to keep pursuing, keep working, keep desiring the things that are above. Why should we seek the things that are above? Because, my friends, notice what Paul says. That's where Christ is. We seek the things above because we are seeking the one who resides above. That is Jesus Christ. We seek the things above not so much because we want gold-lined streets, but we want the one who inhabits that place. We want Jesus Christ, and that is that is where he is. And then notice how the apostle also identifies Jesus Christ. He says, we want the things above. We desire and yearn for the things that are above because that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. We, we want him who is exalted, who is lifted up, who is the messianic king, the one who is enthroned, the one who has a particular place, the one who sits in the place where no one else can sit. That is at the right hand of God. We we want the one who has unrivaled prestige and authority and the one to whom all things are in submission. That's why we read Psalm 110 earlier to, to remind us of, of the authority of the one who sits on the messianic throne, the one who sits next to God enthroned on high. In fact, in this very letter, Lee read it for us earlier. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul reminds us about Jesus Christ, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is preeminent. He is sovereign. He is master. He's Lord and he's good. And so we seek him. We desire him. And so the question for us this morning is, what, what does it look like to seek and to desire the things that are above? It means to look at the people around us in COVID-19. People, people who might be screaming at you, at the hardware store because you're not wearing a mask like, like you have been advised to, to wear or, or people who are at the grocery store who are stripping the shelves of all of its, of all its goods in, in order to hoard and in order to, to meet their own needs, uh, regardless of the needs of others. It is to look at those people and to look at the events of our lives these days, events like COVID-19 and illness and death and lost jobs, and economic uncertainty. It is to look at all of those things and more through the eyes of Jesus Christ. It is to look at those things with a heavenly perspective, to view those things the way God views those things. It is to see God as sovereign over our circumstances, which means that we are restful and we are at peace in these days. And it is to see people as opportunities for evangelism and discipleship. So we are not angry with people around us. We are not fearful of what will happen to people around us. But we are seeking for opportunities to minister to them and share with them. What does it look like 
to pursue the things that are above? What does it look like to pursue a life that says, I've been crucified with Christ and I've been resurrected with Jesus Christ and I have a new kind of way of living? It looks like the kind of story that Warren Wearsby told about two sisters who had come to Jesus Christ in faith after living a somewhat licentious kind of a lifestyle, engaging in all kinds of partying and activities that that were um, unbecoming of God, and they were saved from that kind of lifestyle. And these two sisters, shortly after their conversion, received an invitation to a party uh, that was indicative of the way they used to live. And so they sent back this brief RSVP, and I quote, We regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. My friends, that's, that's the way to think about this. We have tied with Jesus Christ. That old life has died. The, the fear and the anger and the resentment and the bitterness, all of that is the old life, and I have a new life resurrected with Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a new desire. In the middle of COVID-19, what are our desires saying about us? What are you wanting today? Do you want an end to restrictions? Are you like me and uh, you're really you're really wanting a haircut? Are are you wanting to go to a to a movie? Are you wanting to go shopping at the mall? Are you wanting healthy stock markets? Are you wanting corporate worship? Whatever it is you want, it is true that that what we say about our desires, we do what we do because we want what we want. Our actions are the overflow of what we're desiring, what we're yearning for, what we're longing for. And if our activities are going to change, if our perspective on COVID-19 is going to change, if our activities related to COVID-19 are going to change, it begins with a renewed mind that's going to shape us into having new desires. Today, we all need some heart examination. What do I really want What do I really want? What are my desires? What are my longings? What are my priorities? What are my passions? What am I, what am I really living for? And then a second question, are my desires heavenly desires? Are they worthy of Christ? Are they worthy of the life Christ died to give to me? There's a second question that helps us evaluate whether or not we are preoccupied with Jesus Christ. It's given to us in verses 2 and 3. And it's the question, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And as he did in the first verse, the apostle again reminds us of something that God has provided. And this time he reminds us that God is providing for us in the present. He's not only provided for us in the past, but he's also providing for us in the present. Now notice verse 2, Paul gives us a command about a particular kind of thing we are to do. But then in verse 3, he provides two reasons why we are to do that. Notice the connection in verse 3, for, because. So he calls us to do something in verse 2, because, verse 3, number 1, you have died, and number 2, your life is hidden with Christ. When he says you have died, that's reiterating what he's already said in verse 1 and in chapter 2, verse 12, and in chapter 2, verse 20. 
He's saying you don't need to die anymore. You've already died. Sin is no longer master over you. You can do what you've been called to do in verse 2 because sin is not your master. You have a new provision from God through the life that you have in Jesus Christ. And then secondly, he says, you can do this because your life is hidden with Christ in God. That is, you're hidden with Christ. You are safe. You are secure. You are in union with God. You have fellowship with God. You have fellowship with the Son. You are secured by the Spirit. You're not yet perfect, but you are still safe. You don't have to worry about your security. You're hidden, and no one can reach you. Nothing can reach you. Nothing can find you to destroy you, to take away what God has given to you in Jesus Christ. And notice that he also says, not only is your life hidden, but your life is hidden with Christ in God. So our position is in God. We have a a common life with God. The the Apostle Peter speaks about this in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, verse 4, 2 Peter 1, 4, For by these He, Christ, has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So because of Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, He has united us to God so that we are partakers of the nature of God. That doesn't mean that we become God But it does mean that we have the blessings that flow from God's throne. We are in God, united with God, connected to God, secure and safe in Him. And then notice as well that the Apostle says in verse 3 that our life is hidden with Christ. We are are alongside Christ in being hidden and being protected. We are as safe in God's hands as the Son of God is safe in God's hands. We are just as secure in God as Christ is secure in God. Because Christ is in God and safe in the Father, we also are safe in Him. Says one writer, The life of the believer is already a heavenly life. We are already there. We are, we are with Him. We are We are united to Him, connected to Him, secure in Him, alongside Christ, even as He now is in heaven. We live on earth, but our life is heavenly. We live on earth, but our life is heavenly. We are already in company with Christ. We don't have fullness of everything that we will have in heaven yet, but we have the fullness of our heavenly security with Christ. We will, we will be no more secure in heaven in eternity than we are today. We have the fullness of our security in Him. Listen to what the Apostle says to the Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that you will get in heaven has already been granted to you. It belongs to you. God sees you 
with Christ, united with Christ, with all of the blessings that come through Christ and our identity with Him. He says that was brought about, verse 20, in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. We are, as it were, seated with Christ even now. We aren't there yet, but spiritually we are. We have been connected with Him. That union is a reality. Whatever trials we have on earth, whatever burdens we carry, oh, brothers and sisters, we are secure in Christ because we are there with Him in the heavenlies. What should we do with that reality? Well, verse 2 tells us what we should do with that reality. And that is we are to align our thoughts with God's provision. We are to align our thoughts with God's provision. Notice what he says in verse 2. Set your mind on the things above. That, that verb, set your mind, is actually a favorite word of Paul's. It is used 26 times in the New Testament. And 23 of those 26 times, the Apostle Paul is the one that uses them uses it. And, and it, it simply means to think. It means to form an opinion. It means to have an attitude. And Paul is relentless in his pursuit of the believer having a transformed and renewed mind so that the believer thinks in a new way, so that the believer's mind is not going down its old worn-out paths that it used to travel as an unbeliever, but it's, it's traversing a new pathway towards godliness. And so he's constantly reminding us, think on God, think on Christ, renew your mind, have a new way of thinking, pursue a new kind of thought life. And that is, that is exactly what he is pushing us towards here. It is, it is to have longings and motives and thinking and will that the inner man is being completely transformed to move towards God. Says one commentator, we must not only seek heaven, that's verse one, we must not only seek heaven, but we must Think heaven. We must focus our attention on our thoughts in heaven. And and as he did in verse 1 when he says, keep seeking the things above, in verse 2 he does the same thing. Set your minds on things above. He, he uses the present tense. He, he's reminding us that this is, this is a regular kind of a pattern. This is the regular way we ought to be functioning. This is the habitual pattern of our lives. We ought to constantly be thinking. And again, we need that reminder because brothers and sisters, we're, we're prone to stop. We're prone to wander. We're prone to, to leave. We're, we're prone to get distracted. And he says, Keep setting your mind. Keep being intentional, purposeful to fill your mind with the things that are above on Jesus Christ, your position with Him. We never will change, my brothers and sisters, until we change what we think. And we must not just think, well, I need to stop doing that. In fact, He's going to say in just a moment, what we shouldn't think. But we, we need to think a new kind of a thought. We need to have a redeemed kind of thought. We need to have redemptive kind of thinking and focused on the things that are above. That is, our priorities and thoughts need to be aligned with God's priorities and God's thoughts. We need to think the way God thinks. As, as one commentator says, our feet must be on earth, but our minds must be in heaven. 
the practical, everyday affairs of life get their direction from Christ in heaven. So we live here. I understand that. We, we have real issues here. But if we're going to think rightly about our circumstances, we need to run them through the filter of what God says in heaven. And we need to run them through the filter of what Christ is and who Christ is and what he has done in redeeming and saving us. And then Paul reminds us, not only are we to set our, things, our minds on the things above, that is, have heavenly thoughts, but he also reminds us, don't have thinking that is focused on the things that are on the earth. Don't, don't focus your attention on the circumstances of earth. Now, the apostle is not a Gnostic. The Apostle Paul is not saying that, that all things on this earth are physical and they're, they're inherently evil because they're physical things and only the spiritual things matter. He's not saying that, but he is rejecting the priority of the world. He is rejecting the, the morality of the world. He is rejecting the idea that we need to stop thinking as if heaven is temporal and earth is eternal. And, and we need to recognize that earth is temporal and heaven is eternal. And heaven comes with an eternal perspective that must shape us. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding us that change in living must begin with a change in thinking. We, if we're going to change what we do, if our, if our living is going to be sanctified, it, it begins with a renewed mind. We say that all the time around here. We, we, need, to, we need to stop the stinking thinking and we need to start the renewed thinking. And friends, that means we need to feed our minds on things that are heavenly and not earthly. We need to think about the truths that are aligned with God and aligned with God in heaven. And friends, we will not find what is heavenly on ESPN and Fox News and CNN and HBO and Netflix. We will not find what is heavenly on illicit websites and lurid novels. We will not find what is heavenly in those places. We will find what is heavenly in this place, in this book, in this scripture, and, and in books that align themselves with this book. It says one writer so, so um, blatantly and brashly, no Christian, however pious, will ever grow spiritually if he feeds his mind on trash. Friends, if you and I are going to grow, we need to feed our mind and think on the things that are right, or tr- right and true that are found in the Scriptures. When we struggle with fear and anxiety and loneliness and depression and anger and worry and a host of other in- internal sins, it is because, at least in part, We're focusing more on what is earthly than what is heavenly. We may be feeding ourselves the scriptures, but as much as those things are evident in our lives, it is giving demonstration of the fact that the scriptures are not impacting us. The scriptures are not infiltrating our minds. The scriptures are not transforming us. So, Friends, we, we, we need this word to shape us to transform us. I have an incredible longing for us to be rejoined together in worship, and I know many of you do as well. We, we long for that. Speaking to an empty sanctuary 
is, is not my idea of a good time. This is not what corporate worship is designed to be. But friends, I do not want this season to end until we have learned the lessons that we need to learn. The Lord is in His great grace exposing us. He's revealing to us areas where we are not thinking, where we are not desiring in right ways, where, where we have not aligned ourselves to what He has provided for us in heaven. And friends, this is a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous season to have our lives changed. May we not walk away from this season without being changed in very dramatic ways in the way we're thinking and the kinds of things that we are pursuing. And to that end, I am not in a hurry for this to end. Woe to us that we should come out of this unchanged. Oh, friends, we ought to be radically changed because of what we have learned in these days. So here's a simple test about your thinking. For every thought, for every desire, we do well to ask the simple question, is this heavenly or earthly thinking? Is this God-informed or is this world-informed? Is this life thinking or is this dead thinking? And then align ourselves to God in Christ, in heaven, and the way they think about our circumstance. So we want to approach this passage by asking three questions. What do you want? What are you thinking? And the third question, verse 4, where are you going? Where are you going? And, and the apostle reminds us again of what God has provided for us. And this time he reminds us that God will provide for us in the future. God has provided in the past. He is providing in the present. He will provide for us in the future. And notice what the apostle says, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When Christ is revealed. Friend, there is coming a day when the fullness of the reality of who Jesus Christ is is going to be revealed and exposed. The, the veil over our eyes will be removed and we will see Him in all of His glory and we will be transformed into His likeness. It is, as the Apostle John says in his first letter, 1 John chapter 3, We are children of God, beloved, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We we haven't seen yet the manifestation of what we will be, but we know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. We, we will see Him in His fullness. We will see Him in, in all of His glory and all of His radiance. Nothing will be withheld. We will see everything there is to be seen about Him. He will be fully revealed. But friends, not only, not only will Christ be revealed, notice what the Apostle says, then you also will be revealed with Him. So not only will Christ be revealed for what He is, but brothers and sisters, there's coming a day when we will be revealed as, as having the kind of life that Christ has. And we will see 
the fullness of what resurrection life is. We, we see it in part now. We, we see transformed lives, but we don't see the fullness. And the apostle reminds us here that there is coming a day when the fullness of what we are will be shown to us. He doesn't tell us the date that that will happen, but he does tell us that that day is a certainty. We don't know when, but we do know it will come, and that is unchanging. Again, as Richard Sibbs says, we are only poor for this reason, that we do not know our riches in Christ. We act poorly because we have not contemplated what we, what we have been given in Christ, what we are being given in Christ, and what we will be given in Christ. The Lord will provide for you in the future. In the future, He will redeem you. He will sanctify you. He will take you into glory, and He will He will transform you absolutely. There will be no molecule of you that is left untransformed. And that's what God will provide for us in the future. What do we do with that truth? And the apostle will encourage us: align your life to God's provision. Since we have this coming confidence of what Christ will do for us, notice what the Apostle says. When Christ, who is our life, Jesus Christ gives life. Jesus Christ grants life. Jesus Christ is the means to life. Jesus Christ's death provides life. But friends, not only does life come through Jesus Christ, But Jesus Christ is the essence of life. He is life itself. So the apostle says in Galatians chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God who died for me and gave himself up for me. This life is not my life, it's His life. I live for Him. He is the totality of my life. Paul says it very simply in Philippians chapter 1, doesn't he? For me to live is Christ. There's nothing else I want. There's nothing else that drives me. There's nothing else that captivates me. Christ and Christ alone. Can you say that? Can you say, Christ is my life? Can you say, For me to live is Christ. Can you say Christ is preeminent in all things? Can you say I have no desire, no yearnings, no longings, except they all pale in comparison to my yearning and my longing for Jesus Christ? I want Him. Your checkbook, your daily schedule, your conversations, your attitudes towards COVID-19, your attitudes towards the government, your attitudes towards medical professionals, do they all say Christ is life? Because when we recognize what we have in the future, that transforms the way we live in the present. Christ is our life. We have only this one life, friends. Let us lose it by living for Christ and Christ alone. We've asked three questions this morning about this text And those three questions could form a test. How did you do? 
How did you do on this, on this test? What do you want? What are you thinking? Where are you going? As you consider COVID-19 and as you consider all the circumstances around you, all the answers to those questions should be shaped by our perspective of Jesus Christ, our provision in Him and our provision from Him. Oh, friend, be so wrapped up in Jesus Christ that you not only are earthly good in fulfilling the purposes that God has for you on earth, but that you are heavenly minded and that heavenly mindedness transforms everything you do on this earth. What are you thinking? What are you thinking today? Let your thoughts be set on Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the reminder of these truths. We thank you for the reminder of the provision of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the reminder of what he has given to us. We thank you for the reminder of who he is. We thank you, Father, for the exhortation that if we're going to fear you, if we're going to be like you, if we're going to revere you, if we're going to honor you, our lives must be changed, our worship must be changed, our thinking must be changed. Would you be gracious to us, our Father, to transform us at the root of our desires, at the root of our thinking, so that we might be like our Savior who is in heaven, in whose name we pray. Amen.